Hello, everyone, and how are you doing? And welcome to another episode of the Dr. Will Show, where I interview educators and entrepreneurs on leveling up. Each episode, I bring in someone who's dope, and we just have a conversation, and we chat about ideas and strategies on how you can live your best life. Today, I am here with Kanika Tolver. Uh, she is amazing. She, she writes. She coaches in the IT game. She has it all down packed. And we had a conversation uh, because, as you know, with the show, we're talking about you as an educator, a listener, taking control over your life, your career, and your finances. And part of that is either getting into entrepreneurship or you getting to the next level in your career. And Kanika has some great advice on that matter. And I wanted her to come on, drop some gems, and share. Uh, so for those who will be watching on YouTube or will be listening uh, on iTunes or SoundCloud, will you please introduce yourself, Kanika? Hey, everyone. My name is Kanika Tover. I am from the Washington, D.C. area. I am a career coach. Um, I focus on helping professionals find the dream, their dream job or a job that's going to make them extremely happy. Um, I spent 14 years in the federal government IT space. Um, I left the federal government in 2014 to go to private sector and, um, you know, I did a lot of consulting with the federal government with private industry companies. And now um, I'm focused, I am a full-time entrepreneur for my own tech company, um, Brand DMV. And then I also have my own um, company for my career coaching practice. So what is the origin story of how you actually became a career coach and what do you specialize in? Um, it kind of started with family and friends and people just contacting me to kind of do resumes because I kind of always was able to like, you know, any job I went on an interview, I always got the job and people were just like, every time you go on a job interview, you always get the job. Like, what are your secrets? So I started helping my friends and family like years ago, probably about 10 years ago, starting with just resume writing. And then, um, I found that people were getting jobs after I did their resume. And then I just started over that, over like maybe the last 10 years, just reading a lot of books about personal branding, career branding. And I just seemed to have a passion for it. And I started applying a lot of the things that I had learned in these books to my own career and they started working. So um, within the last maybe three years, I just said, you know, maybe I should actually give career coaching a try. So I just started, you know, coaching people here in the D.C. area, um, doing their resumes. I focus on interview coaching. I focus on, you know, a lot of government workers here in the D.C. area. So my niche is helping government federal workers. And I also focus on helping people with LinkedIn branding, how to make their LinkedIn profile attractive, how to be able to feel like you can understand how to connect with other professionals and, and, and recruiters and industry leaders. And then another great thing that I focus on is job search strategy, mm. how to maximize your job search with not tapping out. So how to use different job boards, different job titles, different technologies and tools as you create your profile to make you stand out on the job board sites. And you feel like, hey, if I'm applying to be a project manager, I'm not just using the project manager you know, job title over and over again. I'm understanding the industry enough to know that they can be called project coordinator they could be you know call several different types of things so those are just a few things and of course the tech space for minorities is kind of a niche for me because i am a minority i'm a you know i'm a woman so 
I've gotten people into companies like Microsoft and Oracle and Bank of America. So those are some of the, like my, my, my key niches. That's all right. So I want to throw this out there to you because there are people who, especially in my field, mm-hmm. because of the way I feel the Soros set up in terms of onboarding and recruiting and all of those things, uh-huh. we don't think about coaching. We don't think about career management. Mm-hmm. You know, you get a master's degree, you automatically get a bump in pay. Right. And if you say, I want to be an administrator, mm-hmm. you need, you have to get that master's degree or doctorate in administration and sort of try to move your way that way. Right. So for people who are thinking, why do I need a career coach? What would a career coach do for me to help me get to the next level? Mm-hmm. What do you say to them? Why should someone seek out a career coach? I think career coach, you know, when I first looked into career coaching and I started to look at what career coaches did and what the, and who they were and what the actual like persona was for career coaches, I found that there were a lot of, you know, older uh, professionals that maybe had 35 years within or they were executives and they had like all of this valuable advice so me only had been in the industry less than 15 years I felt like I could add value because I'm dealing with more of the people that need that mid-level career coaching to try to transition into leadership so I felt like there was too many executive leaders that were kind of coaching people from their executive level and there wasn't nobody saying what about the five-year level the 10-year level or the college graduate level so I would say career coaching is for my practice is very um is very informative for the average college student who's coming out of college saying I don't even know where to start you know I have this degree I don't even know where to start so I focus on helping them understand how to create the career brand so I think career coaches um have all different niches but my niche is important to my clients is to create their career brand to know that they are a little business or they are a product and they're selling themselves so that's what um for me is is very important that we look at you know as professionals we look at ourselves like that so you can get you can get a lot of degrees but if you don't know how to market yourself then it's not going to really work for you Mm. so when people are thinking about sort of who they are and what they want out of life, uh, whether it's um, the family piece or the career piece. And it's interesting about the career piece because I was reading an article where people, where someone was saying, you know, you spend a good part of your living life at work. Yeah, you do. And because of that, it should, you should have a certain quality of life at work. A, a certain a, a excitement and passion for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is the process for someone to discover what exactly they want out of their career? I love that question because I felt within maybe the first five to seven years that I wasn't passionate about it. I went into computer science with the intentions of saying, oh, I'm going to do something innovative and creative. But then when I got into the workplace, I felt like, um, I felt myself feeling confused, you know, about like what, what, what culture fit fits for me. So, um, and what does work life balance fit for me? And and is it okay to allow someone to make me work 10 hours a day? In the beginning, you are trying to prove yourself. 
So you feel like that's really, really the thing to do, to work 10 hours a day. So I think work-life balance, and what I try to teach my um, clients is that it's important that you control your work-life balance. It's your responsibility. It's really not the job responsibility, but if you can find organizations that actually, you know, want to enforce um, work-life balance, that's even great. So number one, find a great culture fit. Understand who you are as a person and understand what type of culture fits are good for you. Being a minority, you may not be, may need, may not need to be in a um, predominantly all-white environment to feel like you are getting the most value added to your career. Number two, understanding, you know, um, do do they promote um, work-life balance if you're a working mom? So I tell people go on Glassdoor, read up on a lot of the reviews because they'll tell you a lot about the company. And Glassdoor.com for the listeners that don't have never heard of it, it's a great. Um, guide to really understand it's like the trip advisory of jobs I kind of like to say um, if you want to know about anything about a company research that prior to actually interviewing and even applying because then you won't feel like I picked the wrong job and now I hate it mm. so culture work-life balance um, training because I think also you know finding the job of your dreams you want a job that's going to invest in you a job is going to invest in you building yourself up. Um, so that's important to me and to what I encourage my clients is to utilize their resources of funding for funding or budget that they have for training. And then I would say also the, the passion is going to be always back to the mission of the organization and your duties and responsibilities. If you're not aligning your gifts and talents with the job description, as you read it, if you're not finding things that you'd be like, oh my gosh, I would love to do this, then I think you, you're just taking a job for the sake of taking a job. So those are some of the like, key things I talk about as far as career happiness and passion. So after someone says, okay, I've had my aha moment. I know where I, what I want to do with my life. I know the sort of organization I want to work for, the climate that will bring out the best in me. How does someone come up with a plan and, and not just a plan, an actionable plan to get there? And what sort of people or mechanisms do they lead it need in their lives to hold them accountable? I think you need to surround yourself with other professionals that see the work um, objectives the same way you see them. So what I started to do is I started to stop surrounding myself around people that thought it was okay to not have work-life balance. And I started to deal with other professionals and meet other um, people in my age group and even, even leaders that thought about culture and work-life balance and career passion the same way I did. Because then they, they could give me a lot of insightful information about other companies, other hiring events, and also possibly refer me into the system to the companies that they felt that they worked at that were really making them happy. So I think you need to kind of move your, shift your, um, your, the people that you're hanging around that, that you know, cause some people have some, some employees are very toxic that you work with and they're very disgruntled. So you don't need to be hanging with them. You need to be trying to network with the people that are trying to go in the same career direction as you. Um, another, another thing you need to do is also kind of rebrand yourself online. Like far as, you know, looking at other ways to, you know, make your LinkedIn profile attractive to the type of companies that are looking for people like you. LinkedIn is something that I feel like people don't use a lot, but it tells a lot about a person's personality if the profile is built in a way that draws the employer in. Mm. When they're looking for culture fit, 
if they don't feel like your brand is described on your LinkedIn profile or on your job board site, sometimes they're not as excited to inbox you and say, hey, I got this opportunity. So I tried to make my high-level objective on my LinkedIn profile very, very descriptive and insightful and gave a little bit of technical skills, but also soft skills and also a little bit of my personality. Okay, so since you brought that up, I want to throw this out there to you because in working with the career coach that I I have been working with, Mm -hmm. she talked about a lot of, as people of color, (laughs) particularly black people, we are very good at getting degrees and getting entry le- getting entry level jobs but cracking that c suite level is where the problem comes in whether it's your resume your cover letter because you are not sort of demonstrating yourself uh even though you're doing you may be your job description may be this and you may be holding all these hats in real life but when it comes to either explaining it in an interview or whether it's in your resume or let's say you're on social media because you just brought up LinkedIn, which brought this question to mind. People not positioning themselves in a way to highlight those accomplishments, to highlight those skills to where people see them in those leadership roles. And I say this to say, how can people draw those experiences out because even with me when I was working with her and she said well well what have you you know tell me about this it was hard for me to describe articulate it because I just do my job I know what I do Mm. and we had to have a back and forth for her to say that would be a leadership skill that would be a time you took ownership of a project so how do people take what they've done and articulate it and articulate that in a way to where people see those leadership qualities. I was able to move up in leadership really, really fast in my career in government. Um, like before the age of 30, I was already, you know, at a hundred K and I was always already sitting at tables with political appointees. Um, I was already sitting at the tables with secretaries of agencies. So number one, you gotta be visible. You have to make yourself visible. And, and what I did is I did a lot of detail. You know, when I, you know, I was able to do detail or special projects. That's how you sell yourself. I mean, that's how you brand and market yourself to let people know that I'm capable of leading. So um, number one for the resume and for the LinkedIn profile is I, I, I think people of color, they cut themselves so short. They're already doing the job. But when they read the job description and they see things like oversee and manage and um, implement and execute, those are the words that I use in my resume because they sound managerial or they sound project management oriented or they sound, you know, program management oriented. So I would say instead of using those um, entry level type descriptions, start to use words that describe supervised, managed, overseen, um, reviewed and approved I mean, because approved me that you had some authority so I, I try to use um words when i write my resumes for my clients i even when they're in the mid-level section like say in the mid-level of their career and they're not really trying to get to the c-suite or they're not trying to become a director or branch chief i write a fifty thousand dollar person's salary resume as it sounds as is 80 or 90 or 100 because i want them to know that you are a leader mm. 
it, even if you're just doing something that's just your ownership of your little project, it's yours. I mean, you're actually overseeing that task. So take the little tasks, make them sound really, really big. I kind of got the analogy of how like celebrities, um, you know, they embellish their bios or they embellish their, their um, all of these you know, accolades and, you know, celebrities and athletes. I just look at how they, they put themselves out there to go to the next level. And sometimes be like, there really wasn't that great of a player or he really wasn't that great of a singer or, but they're winning awards like they really are that person. You have to feel like you're that person too. Mm. So in an article you wrote for Glassdoor, you wrote about how people should give their career brand a facelift. Mm-hmm. What do you mean by that? You know, because uh, uh, when I read the article, I was like, okay, this is, this is different, right? Um, and how can educators use personal branding to get to the next level in career? Because I, I've talked to so many educators who they, they hear brand and it's an ugly word to them, you know? Why? Because as educators, there's this aura of, we're, we're noble. You know what I'm saying? We're, we're doing this noble profession. We're not in this for the money, you know, and branding is thought of as uh, you're selling soap or you're, you're, you're an athlete. You, you're, you're someone who's putting on this persona and we're in this thing for the genuine love, love of children. Gotcha. So how can people, how can educators, I guess one, one I want them to embrace the idea of personal branding mm-hmm. and how can they, use a personal brand to get to the next level so i've worked with a couple of here in the area i've worked with a couple of educators that were in the classroom for 10 years and um recently one of my clients actually became a um principal and he's like my age he's like 35 34 became a principal and there's a couple other brothers here in the area that are like already principals and they're not even 40. um so what i've noticed in the education world is that the people that are really, really good at branding themselves, they're very active in the community and they participate on a lot of different advisory boards throughout their county. Um, and, they, and, they, and they always make their brand on social media so keen on not just about being happy to be an educator, but also they develop their own methodologies of how they're going to change education. So I would say create a blog, create an ebook, create a new way of, of teaching um, people or students, I should say, teaching students how to be better or teaching parents how to be more engaged or teaching educators. This particular brother, he focuses on making it known that black educators as men, they exist. Even though statistics say that they kind of don't, he's created a brand for himself to let them know that it's cool to be a black man as a teacher. And even though the population of women that are educators is a lot higher, he has created a, a brand online where he's so completely involved. Another thing that I noticed from, from the educators that, that I've worked with is that they, one has won like, you know, the Neighborhood Awards or Steve Harvey Awards. Submit yourself into these type of situations where people can get to know that you exist. And it doesn't mean that you're selling out or you're selling yourself as a brand, but you're selling your love for being an educator and you're selling your information and knowledge and experience of the things that you've learned far as trial and error that another educator can learn from or parents can learn from or the community can learn from. Mm. 
Okay. Have your own website, have your own blog, have your own workshops. I mean, these are things as far as branding, because there are other educators that are struggling with the same um, understanding of how to do better in the classroom that, that you are. And you may have learned something years ago that could be implemented into the classroom that could be monumental for another city or for another county. So I just think, you know, making yourself a subject matter expert, the way we look at professors at colleges, you know, I think. We look at educators on the collegiate level, we give them all this respect. We bow down to professors or professors at Georgetown or, you know, big time professors. We should do the same thing for school age teachers. Yes. Show me a little more money. Um, so, <laughs> but professors, they write books though, you know, so they always mm -hmm. like come out with a book. You just don't always see a lot of you know, school-age teachers like writing publications. They do, but it's not like, you know, when you go to, to college, you're like, oh, professor or doctor so-and-so, he's the author of this book. And it's kind of like, that's the way he branded himself, himself to be known for that particular study or research. Okay, educators, get out there. Go write that book. Uh, that's why I have a podcast, because I tried to write a book and I sat down at the Google Doc and nothing came. But a podcast is better because I was telling someone the other day, it makes your life a lot easier as far as getting information out to people because it's the new way. So that's a good idea. Maybe you should maybe you should have a podcast on how other educators can start their podcasts. All right. Because you've done it for so long. Excellent. I'm gonna see, I'm gonna set that aside. Call this my money pocket right here. Put, put yeah, I mean, because there's probably somebody else that's saying, Dag, I'm an educator. How do I start a podcast show that's going to be impactful to other educators? All right. Kanika dropping gems today. <laughs> so, you know, I mentioned how I, I am working uh, with a career coach. Mm -hmm. How's that going? And one of the things that when I was going through my resume and, we're, and, and we'll be doing a cover letter mm -hmm. is as educators, we have similar jobs. We do similar things, have similar sort of, you know, academic, mm -hmm. you know, career backgrounds. When it comes to the application materials, mm -hmm. how can an educator separate themselves from other applicants, you know, because Miss Johnson over here, you know, with this elementary education degree, this master's degree in reading, has been teaching 15 years, third grade, could have the same on paper, same right. as Miss Evans over right. here. But right. one of them gonna get the job over the other. So how do you separate yourself from other people who, who on paper have the same qualifications that you have? I think you have to really um, be, uh, mindful of highlighting a lot of quantitative and qualitative type of, of, of accomplishments. So being very descriptive on how you transform something, how you improved, enhanced, um, elevated a certain situation. So if there were like, I've used an example because I write resumes a lot. Um, you know, some of my educators that are my clients, they have created different, um, reading programs to enhance the reading levels for elementary school kids. They have created other ways where they've increased test scores, standardized test scores. So highlighting the metrics 
being very like specific about the metrics of how you took something from a test score rate of 30% and we got it up to 70% or whatever, that is important because that shows that you have the skill set to make a change and a difference. So, and also maybe also highlighting, like I said, going back to what, what are you involved in? Because outside of just being a teacher and you going home, are you involved in anything far as extracurricular activities? You know, this particular brother, he overseeing the um, debate team. He overseeing, you know, um, some, some of the other teams that were doing more collegiate type stuff. He was mentoring kids that were pre-college ready. So those are some things that he just kind of, it just made him stood out as a leader on paper because I mean, he just was so involved in a little bit of everything. And he was, like, making sure that they, those kids were improving. Also, behavior improvements are, you know, behavior assessments and intervention programs are really great for people that are actually educators in urban communities like D.C. or New York or Chicago where they transformed a crazy classroom setting and it made it safe. I mean, I think that's just amazing. So before we go... What is your advice for those who they just aren't satisfied with where they are? They're in a rut. They, they get up every day. They go to work. They go home. They get up. They go to work. They go home. And there's no fire in them. There's, there's no joy. It's just I work. I've been there before in my career, so I completely understand that feeling. Um, when I was going through that, what I decided to do is I decided that I just got tired of feeling like that. And I got tired of feeling like I wasn't adding value to my organization. Well, I just felt like I was just ready to move on. It's okay to be ready to move on. You have to, if you are in a place of fear, you have to get over that fear. If you've been somewhere for a long time, sometimes it's difficult to take, to, to move on or to even think about taking another job. Even though you're unhappy, it's a certain comfort zone that you're in, right? You've been unhappy for five years, but you know the people. You know that you can come to work late every day. Nobody's going to say nothing to you. Or you know that you can do the bare minimum, minimum mediocre, but you kind of been wanting more. The first thing you should do is you should really start to focus on the things that you want to do. Start to look for other people that are already doing that. So what I did is I started to connect with people on LinkedIn that have profiles that in tech that look like something that I wanted to move on to. I connected with them, had you know, had conversations, you know, video calls, coffee talks, things like that to say, how did you get in Google? How did you get in Facebook? Or how did you get? to um, leave DC and now you live in San Francisco and you work in Silicon Valley. How did you get your mindset to even take that leap of faith? Get around the right people. Number two, um, I, use, I use a lot of Eventbrite and meetup.com to find events that, are very, that I'm very interested in. So I started to go to a lot of free workshops and seminars and conferences and meetups in the evenings after work because I needed to be in a creative space. I knew that my space at work was so bad that I needed to be able to say, I have to have an outlet. I have to cope. I have to have a coping mechanism. So I would go to a lot of tech meetups. Me and my, you know, me and some friends, we would meet up and they would have free pizza and free, you know, wine and beer and, you know, soft drinks. And I would start to connect with the people that were in a place that I was trying to get to in a, in a certain industry. And number three, my last thing I would say is to really focus in on reevaluating your skill set. 
You cannot move on to something new if you haven't mastered where you're going. So use tools like Udemy.com, Linda.com. These are very cost-effective ways to get your skills up. Ask your job that you don't like. Can they send you to training? Use them to maximize the next level that you're trying to go to. And um, in your spare time with your hobbies, I feel like hobbies really make you feel a little sane too. Like I would write. You know, I published a book during that period of time. Those really things just made me feel like, all right, when I leave here after these eight hours, I could get through this because I know I'm looking forward to something that's going to bring me a lot of joy. That's all right. That's all right. And I, I want the people, and hopefully, you know what, from this podcast and others, that people are reinvigorated. And if they're in a bad place, see if they can get to another role uh, that would be better for them or just get out. But no one needs to Mm -hmm. work. I did a lot of detail. If you have an opportunity to do rotational assignments, that's another way to network, uh, market yourself, but also find if these other organizations that you can do rotational assignments want to bring you that joy that you're looking for at work. And sometimes, Mm -hmm. you know, when people detail for 90 days or 120 days, Sometimes, not all the times, they actually, you know, if they like you enough, they'll bring you on board to work in that organization that you really enjoyed on the rotational assignment. And probably the thing that I think we don't do as much, we don't seek mentors. You know, we don't actively seek the mentor that's in the place that we're trying to go to. And sometimes we think maybe they're too busy or maybe I want to ask them. Um, But even if they... A lot of times when mentors told me that they couldn't, they didn't have the bandwidth to mentor me, I studied their walk. Mm. I studied them. I just was like, pay attention. Studied they, you know, how did they, how did they articulate themselves in meetings? How did they move, their hustle, their strategic way of thinking, how they dress, how they communicated. And those things kind of said, wow, like the same way we study celebrities and, we, you know, we, we admire Michelle Obama and Oprah and all these other people. Sometimes mentoring, it could be virtual. Like I, I admire you and I admire other people because you guys have different subject matter expertise that I don't have. But it doesn't mean that I have to talk to you on a day to day basis to learn from you. That's all right. Well, thank you. I admire you making those dollars. Um, <laughs> well, you about to be making those dollars once you get your resume redone. I mean, it's, 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 you know, it's done and I do like it. And I've, and I've shared it with, uh, a, a representative from a organization who I met at a conference and oh, wow. she asked me, well, what you think about coming on and consulting for us? That's good. So, yeah, yeah. She, cause she, cause you know, it was, it was so interesting because you know, I, I wasn't paying attention to that conversation because uh-huh. I was so like when she said it, the first words out of my mouth were if the money's right. Now in hindsight, I could say that might not have been the best response, but she said, I think we pay our people well. So she didn't take it at, you know, like, what did he just say? Um, and so she said, you know, she gave me her business card and she said, you know, let's connect and talk about this. Uh, so I, mean, I was like, 
I was like, did I just say that? But yeah, I did say that. So, so you know, that's another, that's a good point. Sometimes career happiness and career passion, I don't think money should be the motivation. Um, I think that I've learned over the last, I guess, you know, maybe when I was 25, 26, that that was my motive. And I find a lot of professionals making a lot of money that hate their life, hate their job, hate the people they work with. They don't really like leadership there. So I think it's also okay to take lateral moves to find the environment, the culture, the work-life balance. Because if the work-life balance is this, is a big possibility you may have to take a pay cut. Not all the time, but I'm just saying that if somebody's saying that you can do less in a less amount of time and you don't have to stay, you don't have all these um, you know, expectations on you, Maybe the money may, maybe the small pay cut may would be, but I think um, people so focused on money and they, and they, if they make money their main driver, I mean, it doesn't mean anything if you're not happy. I hear you. And I want people to be happy and I want to be happy. I also know my value at this point and right. my money got to add up uh, because right. the reality is in a, a lot of us, in careers, your job title may say you do these five things. Mm-hmm. But we know that a lot of people are not going to just be doing those five things. Right. Right? They're going to throw extra stuff on you. Right. And, and a lot of times that extra stuff don't come with extra money. You're right. So You're right. No, doubt. From, no doubt. You know what I'm saying? So from that, I, if, I, if I know I'm going to be taking on extra duties, which I don't care because if I'm working for you, particularly for a certain amount of time, I, I want to be there. And yeah, I want to see. I agree. I agree. You have a very valuable point about those extra duties. Yeah. So, I, so, I want to see them succeed. Therefore, if my salary starts out a certain way and you throw right. extra stuff on it, it's all good. Right. <laughs> and <laughs> maybe, all- maybe we should encourage on this show that in order to sometimes find a place of happiness or a place for extra, um, extra um, money is starting your own consulting business leverage what I did with my tech company is a lot of things that I was doing in private sector I those became services and consulting services that I offer now so I tell anybody that if you want to start your own LLC and you want to actually you know take some of your skills to another organization as you described here on this call that you're doing I think that'll that'll add a lot of value and it also give you a place of happiness because you're doing something that you love and you're getting paid for it in addition to your full-time job. No doubt. I love it. I love it. Though the tax man is no joke. <laughs> All right. I just want to tell you, people, if you've never, if this is your first time going to watch or listen to my episode, consulting <laughs> is real nice. You can stack some chips and use that for vacation or whatever you want to do. Right. But I'm going to tell you now, now, see your nine to five, when you get that check, you know, your gross look like this, but we all know we don't bring home the gross. So Uncle Sam take the money off the top. Off the top yeah. When you consult. You got to put that into the factor then. Yeah. They don't take money off the top. They right. just give you the big old check. Now right. you can pay Uncle Sam on a quarterly basis if you want to, or you can just wait to the end of the year and file your taxes. Then Uncle Sam say, okay, you, you owe, you know, this money money. You be like, oh, right. You know, I pay and I gladly pay because I understand government need my money to work and I want services. But uh, when the accountant says you owe this, you kind of go, Ooh, okay. 
Right. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't expect that. Uh, Man, that should be a good show. I mean, that should that could be a show within itself, if you unless you already had that type of topic already. But I mean, a lot of us that start businesses, we don't even know a lot about how to manage. Um, I mean, I'm learning too as a new business owner about the tax rules, benefits, not benefits, and it's very difficult when you're starting out because you're not, you know, always making, you know, all this amount of money. So you have to make your sure your expenses outweigh your income if you don't you're gonna pretty much get nothing or oh and understand what you can do claim right you know what i'm saying so um that's the one thing i I love i love about it uh which i didn't know certain things until again i went to a cpa right i didn't go to one of these big box H&R block type folk right. where they may just pull a seasonal person in. Right. I went to a CPA and she knew the rules and was able to say, oh, you do a digital business? Oh, we can deduct internet. Yeah. <laughs> really? You're hosting. Uh, yes. So uh, because it's home base as well, I'm a consultant, part of my mortgage factored in. So I was like, this is going to be a good day. You know, half of your utilities can factor in, you mean, you know, like yes. your phone and internet and, you know, awesome. all yep. So, yeah, I mean, know the rules and, yeah. It's nice. Still got to write a big check, though. But my check would be, would have been a whole lot bigger if I didn't have those different deductions to make. Right. Uh, so, thank you, Kanika, for being a guest on the show. I love the gems that you dropped. I hope, you know, they were great, insightful, something a little unique and new that you haven't heard on previous shows so i enjoy i enjoy being on your show and i appreciate you inviting me and you know i look forward to you know connecting with you guys on future you know events or conferences so i know i really appreciate it i really do thank you i appreciate you as well now folks you know how i do this the video cast will be going up on youtube i need you to subscribe leave your comments the podcast itself is going on itunes SoundCloud, need you to follow, subscribe, leave your comments because your boy's trying to get Oprah on the show and I want her to know just how big I'm doing it around here. Uh, so yeah. people, as always, invest in you, EDU, peace.